3: Right now on Fast, the final hour rebound. The S&P bouncing off its low for the year to finish solidly in the green. The Dow staging a nearly 500-point turnaround in the final hour of trade. And the Nasdaq closing up more than 1.5%. What fueled this late-day recovery and will it last? We'll debate that. Topping the tape, shares of Roku surging 11% today and lots of high-valued tech popping, too. Peloton, Zoom, DocuSign, many more. But one of our traders says, do not be fooled by these bounces. And later, shares of Mosaic dropping on mixed results after the bell. The stock's been rocketing higher this year. All the ag names have. Is there still room for growth in this sector? I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, Jeff Mills, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. We start off with a big time market comeback in the last hour of trading the nasdaq surging 330 points from its lows of the day to close out more than 1.6 percent higher that is its best start to a month since april of last year the s and s p and dow also finishing solidly higher the move coming after or as the 10-year treasury yield topped three percent for the first time since 2018 the 30 year at its highest since 2019 so have markets found their bottom what do you think tim well, no, I don't
1: think they've found their bottom, but I think they found extremely oversold levels. And if you look at the day that we had, we came in off of a horrendous April. Everybody knows those stats. And, and so you actually came out of the gates. Yeah, the S&P was up about 50 handles. Then intraday, we went down 2 percent. We went down over 100 handles on the S&P before finding uh, some some place of optimism in the midst of all this. I I think we're waiting on the Fed. I think we're waiting on on more earnings. But ultimately, the dynamic around where companies are going to be operating in this market out two, three quarters, I think, is what equities are doing now. Um, We're also waiting for some of those mega cap tech stocks, shoes to drop. I think we're waiting on Apple. I think we're waiting on Microsoft. Um, But right now, we're waiting and we're focused on the Fed on a day when that 10 year got above 3 percent. And people should be concerned about that.
4: Dan, what do you think? Yeah. So the last Fed meeting in March when the Fed raised 25 basis points. Um, you know, we kind of made a bottom right before that. and We kind of rallied out of it. I think it all went a bit further than a lot of people would have thought, certainly than I thought. And so maybe that's a similar sort of action. This has been very well telegraphed. Go back a few weeks when we had Jerome Powell, Fed Chair Powell on the Hill, right, and, and basically gave 100% certainty they're going to raise 50 basis points. And he sounded pretty hawkish. And what did we have? Well, we had a stock market that careened lower. I think the S&P closed down 9% in April. So to Tim's point, we saw all the readings, AAII, put call. I mean, it went on and yeah, on and indeed. on. This morning, you had that miss of the ISM. We had GDP last week. There's a lot of bad news near term in the stock. And when's the last time we can remember nearly the S&P down 10% where nothing's going on other than the Fed. I mean, there's a lot going and
1: on. And with but, the Fed uh, hiking into yeah, all that that's right.
4: That, that, that's kind of my point here. Yeah. So yeah, we're a little oversold. We're at a level. We almost got to a new 52-week low. That would have been maybe a little bell ring for a move uh-huh. back towards 4,400 in the S&P.
3: I don't know. 40, 50 had always been a level in the S&P 500 that a lot of technicians pointed to in terms of being, you know, support. So, Jeff Mills, I say I say I'll flip what Dan had to say on its head in in some respects and that we had all this bad news. We have the Fed. We know they're going to do 50. Um, We had bond yields popping and yet we still managed to stage this bounce. I would say that's bad news, good price action. And therefore, that's actually good news for the markets now.
5: Well, I don't know. I'd like to see a little bit more follow through. Quite honestly, to really, you know, put a pin in this as, as the bottom. You know, I think that there's plenty to point to. I keep pointing to credit. So let's look at what credit did today in the high yield space. HYZ, HYG was basically flat. JNK was down. So I would say you saw further deterioration in credit credit even as the equity markets were able to rally. So I keep saying beware of equity rallies if credit does not follow. I think more or less that's what we saw today. You know, Apple didn't make me feel great. Amazon didn't make me feel great. We did this analysis with Microsoft maybe a week or so ago. But a stock like Apple, it looks to be breaking down technically. And from a valuation standpoint, even if it retraces halfway back to its average P.E. multiple, that would take it to about 20 times. It probably deserves a little bit of a premium given what's going on with services, But that's 16% down if you were to see a move like that. So there is still room to come out of these names. Uh, And I talked about this Friday as well, and I'll just end with this. Look at how Amazon did today, and then look at how Facebook did today. There is a difference in these stocks that have re-rated and stocks that have not re-rated. And I think the stocks that haven't re-rated are still going to pull the overall market lower over the coming weeks and, and potentially months.
3: Pete, do you feel the same way that there are pockets of the market that have re-rated? And I, I guess I'm thinking of names like an Arc, for instance. And the Northman Trader who we follow, we all follow the Northman Trader on Twitter, you know, he pointed out the arc, Um And on a day when the markets hit new lows, Arc did not. And it seemed to have some support there. And I'm wondering if you think that maybe, you know, there are pockets like these innovation names that have found some footing. hmm
0: Yeah, I think some of them, Mel. I don't know about all of them, and I know we've got lists all over the place for tonight, but yeah, especially when I'm looking at big cap tech, I think a lot of those names actually really stand out for me. The way they did turn and burn, these guys were all mentioning the turns that we'd seen out of names like Facebook and Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and all of those big cap names. And when they start to move, Mel, there seems to be a, a, a huge rush, and it's not just for those names. It looked like to me like they were picking up the entire market. As a matter of fact, at the very at the at the bottom of three o'clock, as we were going to the final hour of trade. We had a huge buyer in the S&P 500, as a matter of fact, the SPYs. We had some huge call buying in there. 17,000 of the upside August calls. And it immediately flipped, and we started to see that move. And a lot of that was the big cap techs, and a lot of those names that do fall under, whether or not they're in the Dow, or obviously in the NASDAQ, or in some cases, obviously affecting what's going on in the S&P. But it's been really, really interesting to watch. And we had some good volumes today. You know, April was a terrible volume month for the options world. And now all of a sudden we start off this month over $40 right out of the gate. So I think there's a lot of different factors here, including the charts. A lot of people talking about that all day long. We hit certain levels and then we bounced off those levels. Is it healthy? We'll have to see. This is just one hour. It's not even the full day. It was Mm -hmm. one hour of trading. So we'll actually find out a lot more as we progress through this week.
3: I mean, as you guys all point out regularly, you can't ever pick or know when the bottom is going to be. So I think the question may be here. Are we closer to the bottom um, than we are not? And I'm going to I want to play the soundbite from former Fed Vice Chair Roger Ferguson on Squawk Box this morning talking about where the economy is heading.
2: The probability of recession in 2023 is certainly uh, very, very high because of the challenge of trying to get this uh, roaring inflation under control and having so few tools to do it and so little ability to control the supply side of the economy.
3: All right. So that's a take of a former Fed vice chair saying high, high probability of a recession next year. So in light of that, Tim, um, where should the markets be at this point?
1: Well, I, I, it, we're almost waiting for when selling, when getting bad data is actually an opportunity to buy stocks. And and so when bad news is good news. And, and what uh, Feds Ferguson said is ultimately you have a case where you, you probably don't have the Fed backing you and have that Fed put. And in some sense, the Fed is ready to actually push the markets around. It. And possibly the sense is that they're willing to push the market. And and, and I think you get a case where if, if you have a neutral rate that's higher than 250, um, this is a case where I think the Fed is really... Not afraid to to push the economy around a little bit here, and that's that's where all the fear comes from. This is a very different Fed.
4: Yeah, and I would just say it's very unlikely that the S and P 500 bottoms out down 15 percent in what it seems to be now a high probability um, event of a recession at some point in the next, let's call it, year or so. It's just not how it works. I mean, I know that that you know bear markets you know don't exactly have to correspond with the timing of a recession, but given the headwinds that we have, given the issues with inflation, given the speed in which rates have gone. High higher, given the damage to supply chains, given the uncertainty with the geopolitical situation, given the surge in the dollar. I mean, I could keep actually going here. The S&P doesn't well, bottom also, out down 15%
1: like I think, that. I think the, the other part this we're in the middle of earnings season. And what we're hearing from companies, that earnings, if you think about the efficiencies and the tailwinds for a lot of these companies and where the crisis they were able to squeeze out uh, a lot of inefficiencies in their business and, and plus buybacks, plus dividends. I mean, we've had a case where earnings probably were as good as they could be almost in yeah. any cycle environment. And that's part of the problem. So you layer that on top of it. It always comes back to what do we think is the multiple you should put on stocks?
3: All right. Well, as you know, we are now less than 48 hours away from a huge Fed decision markets, all but assured. A 50 basis point hike is, in fact, coming. Let's bring in Steve Leisman for more. Steve, it's interesting how when you're a former Fed official, you can say whatever you want. And it makes me wonder if other current Fed officials actually think this, too.
2: Well, you know, I did a story on this a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, what the Fed officials were saying that was the uh, in-office version of what Ferguson said was they were not ruling out a recession. You know, when you had uh, uh, Powell come and saying there was some chance we would have a soft landing, uh, and you had other folks saying that they, uh, like Esther George, would not rule out the possibility of a recession. I think that's something that's in the realm of possibility, that you have uh, a perhaps a mild recession. Um, So, uh, yeah, Ferguson is is just able to say out loud what I think, what I'm sure a lot of Fed officials are thinking right now.
3: Yeah, so 50 basis points. And then um, what do you think the burning questions are going to be at that press conference?
2: Um, So one of the interesting ideas, and I'll credit Krishna Guha from ISI Evercore on this one, is Fed speak has been a little unruly, uh, mm. and 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 I say that as a guy who's able to process a lot of Fed speak and um, often find it ruly, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, but right now, you have guys talking 75 and people talking about all kinds of stuff, and um, what Krishna, what I think, appropriately is looking for is some bounds and some kind of sense of how and why they would go faster or slower from here on out. Um, I think Powell's going to be a little reluctant. He'll give us the 50 on Wednesday and probably telegraph another 50. Beyond that, I'm not sure how or what he kind of puts guideposts around uh, what, what comes after that. The idea of a 75 basis point uh, rate hike, it's baked, it was baked in on Friday, almost 50%. Uh, now it's back down to around, I don't know, 28% probability uh, in the June meeting. Uh, So he has to figure out if he wants the market to be there um, and whether or not there's any conditionality to this um, march towards neutral. And let me explain that. The Fed was kind of ambling towards neutral and then it was kind of strolling and then it was trotting and cantering. And now the Fed is galloping towards neutral. You have, if you look at the next chart, guys, that I loaded up there, you know, you're going to be at 200 basis points by August and you're going to be. Uh, you know two to what is it two sixty two eighty by by December, up up to three thirty. Uh, that's where the market's priced right now, and Powell has to tell us, hey, is that a good idea or is that is that off base relative to what you think?
1: Steve, I, I know the Fed isn't worried necessarily about being a bond trader here, but does this become harder for the Fed in an environment where bond yields are spiking? Not actually moving lower, at least on expectation that we are pushing into recession. And it, because it's a very complicated environment, especially with the sell up of the yen and that the Japanese have been sellers, we, all we're talking about is the 10 year over 3%. Um,
2: I, I, I think the Fed uh, is fine with yields rising. I think that's sort of the intention, Tim. I, 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 um, uh, the Fed is trying to bring forward future tightening, right? So, and the more Fed tighten, the more tightening the Fed can bring forward, perhaps the less it ultimately has to do. Um, so, what's happening right now is we are experiencing the tightening that might have happened at the end of this year, right now in today's economy, and that's where you see the market being buffeted by that. It's like, wait a second, I thought that wave was, you know, a mile offshore, and now it's hitting the beach right now. That's what's going on and the market is adjusting almost daily to that kind of sort of new incoming waves of, of tightening that's happening in the economy. Um, I do think that ultimately uh, the Fed is going to have to come forward and say, here's where the waves stop at some point here and not necessarily just one after another.
3: Somebody Steve who um, did terribly in ec-10 in college, I'll admit that freely on national TV because it's undeniable. Um, <laughs> if If the tightening that's being felt in the economy is a tightening that the Fed intended for the end of the year, and a lot of the the economists were forecasting a recession in 2023, do you think that then gets pulled forward?
2: Um, I I do. I do. But but remember, there's a lot of crazy cross currents in this economy. You know, first of all, I, I think it's very hard to have a recession that everybody knows is coming. In some sense, by definition, a recession is the result of factors you do not know are coming. Why? Your inventories get out of whack. you got to smash down inventories. you got to cut back production. If everybody sees this recession coming in August or, or sometime of 2023, it's going to be actually be very hard to have it. You also have this uh, anomalous idea that travel is surging. Autos are coming back amid all of this. The market may call a recession, but the consumer and businesses may not show up. You got a story. I don't want to raise the curtain too much on it. Frank Holland's going to talk tomorrow about business investment, which is going crazy. It's been great in the national account. So um, I don't think this recession is a done or definite deal here because Mm -hmm. coming out of this uh, pandemic is a very unique set of set of circumstances. And hopefully it not only buttresses demand, but we get additional supply that sometime later this year could help with the inflation problem. And maybe we'll all be surprised. I know. Um, optimistic point of view is not really uh, fashionable these days, but there is a case to be made.
3: Let's hope. Steve, thank you. Steve Leisman. All right, Jeff, what do you think?
5: So I think there is an optimistic case where the Fed can engineer a soft landing, but I think it's difficult. And obviously inflation holds the key. So right now we are seeing inventories build. Steve mentioned inventories. We're seeing demand fall uh, on purpose. The Fed is trying to destroy demand. Uh, And then we clearly have the base effect. I know that seems sort of uh, silly to point out, but does inflation start to roll over enough where the Fed can back off? That's the key. And and if, if it does then I think we might be OK. We'll have a mid-cycle slowdown and, and nothing more. But I did send in a chart, and I think this is this is the, the issue that we're dealing with. So it's simply the ISM Manufacturing Index. We got that report this morning. It did miss down to 55, and that's charted up against the 10-year Treasury yield. So you're seeing it move in an unusual way. 10-year Treasury yield rapidly higher and the ISM rolling over. So what does that mean? That means the Fed is hiking into an economic slowdown that is not typical, and that makes it difficult to engineer a soft landing at this point.
3: Pete, how do you uh, navigate all these mixed messages uh, when it comes to yeah, how you are the, investing? The,
0: and there are a plethora, right? I mean, I, honestly, I mean, when I'm listening to Dan go ro- rocking and rolling through that whole thing, it's absolutely incredible, and and obviously the rest of the guys as well. You know, it's amazing to hear. Um, Uh, Steve Leisman sounding a little bit more bullish than I usually uh, feel like, or at least optimistic, I would say. I think, think quite honestly, Mel, we read so much into every single number these days that we're almost talking ourselves into some sort of a recession. I think it's not going to be easy. Will they be able to manage this? None of us really know. But can it be a soft landing? It can. I mean, there is that possibility. So because of that, if the Fed does everything right, which is going to not be easy, but if they're able to do that, Mel, then we'll be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think a lot of people are still expecting that tunnel to be very dark, but there is a chance that they do things right and they actually react in the right ways so that we can actually get through this. And rather than a recession, this has just been a very challenging time for us.
3: Coming up, we've got much more on today's market action. Dan Suzuki of Richard Bernstein Advisors will join us in just a few to break down what is next for stocks. A big warning he's got for the tech trade. Plus, we've got an earnings duo on deck. Shares of Expedia and Clorox on the move after reporting. We'll bring you all the details when Fast Money returns.
6: Every day.
3: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Expedia. Shares are higher after a beat on the top and the bottom line. Let's get to Seema Modi with the details. Seema.
8: Hey, Melissa. Strong earnings report fueled by a 58% rise year over year in gross bookings. Still down about 17% compared to the first quarter in 2019. I was just on the call. CEO Peter Kern says he's very pleased that demand has come back post-Omicron, the shortest wave thus far. In regards to the war in Ukraine, he says travel demand in Europe is back to new highs so a very short blip there a rebound in cities he sees international travel improving on inflation he says the pent-up demand is outweighing really whatever the market is throwing its way he says we could see travelers look for a cheaper alternative if prices continue to rise but he doesn't see people canceling travel plans and that demand for vacation rentals verbo remains above 2019 levels somewhat constrained on supply they expect to sell out in top locations this summer that is where it Expedia has been focused on adding more inventory. In fact, 50% of customers in the first quarter were new customers, and it does come ahead of Airbnb's report later this week. We'll see uh, if that's a a read for that. Expedia's Expo event, where they're expecting to unveil new products, kicks off in about 48 hours, and CEO Peter Kern will join us on Thursday in a First on CNBC interview. It is a jam-packed week for travel earnings, Melissa. Hilton tomorrow, Marriott Wednesday. Uh, Royal Caribbean on Thursday. So as Steve Leesman was saying, uh, we will certainly get uh, a very good read on the customer, on the consumer, as we get to see if they are, in fact, responding to recessionary fears. Back to you.
3: All right. Seema, thank you. Seema Modi. It will be interesting to see what the the nuances um, of the quarter and and more recent weeks have been. Pete, where do you stand on travel in general, in terms of the travel food chain, hotels, planes, Expedia?
0: Well, it, cert- it certainly does make a lot of sense, Mel. I guess the only hesitation I have at this point in time is have people used up what their excitement was to get back out on the road, to get places, to actually go on vacations, to have those trips that everybody's talking about? And as the consumers demand, is it going to be continue to be there? I think that's the biggest challenge is. Will this stand out going into the future? Because we all know that people have been paying higher to, to travel places, whether it's by airplane or, or, or whatever. And that's a huge issue. And do people have that kind of demand that, that's going to continue? And I think that's the only concern I have right now. Obviously, those booking numbers were absolutely extraordinary. 58%. That's a big number. But... Are they going to be able to continue this? I I didn't hear much about what the outlook was right now. And I think that's something that's going to be difficult to to, to determine whether or not the consumer is priced out or not. We know costs are through the roof, but is it priced out? We'll find out soon.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've seen pull forward on, on everything, right? So why not yeah. travel to a certain degree? And then when consumers right. get on the road and they, they do travel, you go to a restaurant and you get sticker shock, right, from all the food inflation. But you got to wonder if that actually yeah. helps an Airbnb, Dan.
4: Yeah, and and, uh, Seema mentioned the Verbo. I mean, that is their Airbnb competitor, so they have that going for them. They said it's supply um, constrained. I'll just say this: this stock has uh, massively outperformed the Nasdaq. It's only down three percent of the year. I think in the aftermarket gains, it's probably unchanged, and it's got a defensible valuation. If you're looking at the out year, next year, they're expected to have earnings and sales to meet a new, um, you know, a new high. So to me, at 17 times next year's um, estimates, if that is in line or possibly conservative if things do go better than expected. This stock is probably one that is showing some good relative strength this year and probably has a good valuation support on the out-year numbers.
3: All right, let's get to the next earnings alert for you. Shares of Clorox lower after hours, despite a being on the top and the bottom line. Uh, let's get to Christina Parks and Nevelis with all the details. Christina. Thanks, Melissa. So the maker of Glad
4: bags and Fresh Step cat litter, Clorox is seeing its shares drop in after hours trading after the company cut full-year profit projections because of, in Inflation, rising costs from commodities, manufacturing, and logistics are all eating into profits. Gross margin was just shy of 36%, which is lower than last year. The CEO expects an extra $30 million of added rising costs during the period and says, quote, we continue to see volatility and uncertainty in the macro environment. The company does also see its full year 2022 net sales declining anywhere between 1% and 4%. And the warnings weighing on the stock despite Clorox posting a quarterly profit and stronger than expected 2% net sales growth in the March quarter. And shoppers be warned, everyone watching right now, Clorox plans another round of price hikes this summer.
3: Christina, thank you. Time to uh, stock up on the glad bags, Tim, before prices go
1: <laughs> Yeah, that's what I do. I um,
3: mean, how, how many price hikes are you
1: that's what I the weather? Uh, you can a, a few more and they're passing it on. And I'll just say this about inflation. You know, copper was down another three percent today. And there's some sense if you look at what copper prices are that we maybe we've hit peak inflation. But back to Clorox, um, down one to four percent on sales, twenty nine multiple, not cheap in an environment where you would expect um, consumer staples to continue to outperform, but not one where you have these kinds of price pressures. So um, not terribly far if your 52 week low. Uh, I do think the things uh, that drive demand for Clorox are also not what we're going to see for the next 12 months. Remember how everybody needed Clorox wipes. Everybody right. needed bleach. Everybody needed. So there was a COVID pull forward here. And the multiple of yesterday is not the multiple of tomorrow. I, I, you know, I don't think you need to step in and buy this.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think that's a dilemma with consumer staple stocks in this market environment. You want to buy them, but they are expensive relative to the markets, relative to themselves, Jeff Mills. Um, and so you got to wonder whether or not they are worth it at this point, especially as they're facing higher costs.
5: Yeah, I agree. And I actually think if you start to see staples lag, that's a good thing. If you look at equal weighted consumer discretionary versus staples, that has been such a good risk barometer since the March 2020 lows. You know, when, when that relationship reversed and Staples started outperforming, the market followed. So if you start to see names like Clorox lag, that's probably a good thing, because I do think if things get really bad, then people are going to pile into these names sort of regardless of valuation. But because I'm sort of in the middle, I, I think the economy slows down noticeably. But I don't know that we get into that recessionary zone. You know, I mentioned a name like Dollar General the other day, you know, trading at 20 times versus 27 times for Clorox and it does have better growth prospects at least in my opinion so I would prefer to play in that middle ground for a slowdown but maybe not super high valuation staples.
3: All right we are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
0: Heading upstream. Shares of Roku surging. But the move has one of our traders scratching his head. So what's up with the high valuation trade? Plus time to take the field. That's a hint for our next Fast Pitch. So grab your gloves and get ready to vote. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this.
3: People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarporg money tools.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets?
3: Welcome back. Roku topping the tape today. Shares jumping 11% higher and up nearly 22% since last Thursday's earnings report. Take a look at the other high valuation, high growth tech names ripping higher today. Peloton, DocuSign, Zoom and Netflix also in the green. So are these stocks primed for a big comeback? Dan, what do you mm. think?
4: Well, it depends what your time horizon is. I mean, we saw, you know, huge bounces off the lows just a couple months ago. Some of these stocks rallied 40, 50, 60% in some instances. And I'm looking at this thing, it just made a new 52-week low, is trading nearly 500 in July. And traded below $100, so could this thing go to $150 in a heartbeat? I mean, listen, if you're trading, these are great opportunities to kind of catch these sentiment turns in a way because they'll continue to go up for a couple of days. But look what happened as soon as the market rolled over right after that March bounce, these things made new lows. And I was saying for a while, and this is like the 2001 and 2002 playbook. um, You know, it's one step forward, three back,
1: and you're going to take. It's just going to take time for these things to bottom out. Well, but but again, we're talking about what has already been nine months to a year for mega cap for for high multiple tech, not mega cap. In fact, mega caps, you know, just kind of gotten going. But I I look at that list. Um, Roku to me has existential issues. I don't know if anybody needs Roku ever. Um, they talked about TV sales and they talked Well, I'm sorry. Um, and, you know, I, I look at a, a DocuSign <laughs> and I look at a Zoom and I would say those are classic dot com 2.0 tech stocks, COVID pull forward where we still don't really know what they're worth. We still don't really know. Zoom could make an acquisition and change and they have made a couple. Uh, and then I look at Netflix and I'm, I'm not going to die on the Netflix hill, but I think it's a, it's a very different story. Pulled back 70 percent for a company who is never supposed to be a linear straight line on
3: subs. Uh, Or or do we look at these stocks and say, what does it say about the markets if these types of stock? I mean, have you seen Redbox? And I I hesitate to mention it's a small stock. It's less than half a billion dollars in market cap, Pete. But I know that you've seen this. RDBX. It was up 70-something. Oh, it settled down to up forty three percent today, (laughs)
6: Pete.
0: Yeah, you know what, Mel, sometimes it just seems like there's, they're, they're buying almost everything, right? I mean, I've, we talk about these multiple stocks or no multiple stocks all the time. Peloton being one of them, I've always referred to it as the most expensive clothes hanger for all the right reasons. People buy them, they don't use them, they eventually don't have their subscription model anymore and they, and they just kind of move on and eventually it finds its way to uh, Goodwill or somewhere. I mean, that's just the path line that we've always seen. And when I look at a name like that where their cash burn is high, they don't make money, and we've talked about this for a long time throughout the pandemic. Yeah, they had that great run in that first six months or so of the pandemic, but then after that, what? You know, it's it's one of those things, whether, you know, Roku at least has some sort of promise somewhere, Netflix, some sort of promise. But I think there are a lot of names where they got pulled in and now they're seeing the actual pain side of this trade yeah, a little bit of a bounce today in some of these names, but I think ultimately we're going to see a lot of these names go even lower, even though today Peloton was at a 52-week low again.
4: Yeah, and I don't disagree. I want to say something earlier in the A Block. I think maybe Tim said it. I mean, listen, I think that sooner or later, these stocks will show relative strength to the large cap stocks, and then you'll know it's probably, say, saved- to get in the pool then. You know, you know what I mean? But right now, we're not out of the woods with the S&P down 15% and the NASDAQ down 20%. And that is the playbook going back to the post.com crash. A lot of these companies, Roku, good balance sheet. I mean, like, 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 the, could this thing be around? Could there be some strategic M&A and stuff like Not here, not right now. And so my point is, it took two years for the NASDAQ to go down 85% from the highs in 2000. And so we're just not there. I'm not saying the NASDAQ's going any It's a different NASDAQ. But some of these well, stocks... these are down 85%, yeah. though. Yeah. This,
1: these, these are pets. Dot com stocks in many cases. But they're banging
4: around, going up 10 percent, down 15 percent. That's why we can talk about this for six more months like this.
3: Yeah. Somebody should actually call around Goodwill and <laughs> see if Peloton's happened. I mean, that would be a good sort. I mean, talk about channel checks. That would indicate a lot if they made wow, it there. Wow,
1: coming up at Goodwill.
3: <laughs> right? I, um, I doubt it. Yeah. Well, we'll maybe. see. All maybe, right. Maybe Our next guest warns half the market is not a bubble and high valuation stocks are a big reason why. Dan Suzuki is a deputy chief investment officer at Richard Bernstein Advisors. Dan, great to have you with us. When you say high valuation stocks, I'm I'm guessing that you mean the ones that we were talking about versus a a Clorox, which is a high valuation stock relative to itself.
9: Yeah, I guess, you know, what we're referring to is, you know, if you think about, you know, the the 11 sectors in the S&P now, you know, about three of those sectors uh, are have you know heavy weights in kind of tech and tech like stocks and innovation, growth and disruption. And those three sectors are information technology, communication services, and consumer discretionary. Those three sectors alone make up about half of the market cap of the S P five hundred. And I think in in all in different ways, they're all sort of have been buoyed um, by that this bubble that we think is present in markets today, even after this big correction. And so I think that you know that's a big risk. And something we we've been writing about is, you know, where do you go for diversification if there's every everybody's portfolio is heavily, heavily concentrated and and everything out there is heavily, heavily correlated. Unless if you want diversification in your portfolios, you actually have to actively, proactively put that diversification into your portfolios by reducing your weights to those just from a pure, you know, prudent portfolio management perspective.
3: Last time we saw you was uh, January 18th, I think. And then you said that you saw um, a a Nasdaq 100 correction of 50 percent in the cards from its highs. And I'm wondering, are you still sticking with that?
9: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, uh, you know, super scientific, uh, you know, digging through the, you know, asset values sort of analysis. But, you know, if we're right. And, and, and technology and technology related stocks are in a bubble, you know, go back and look at the history of bubbles. They don't softly correct and then, you know, they're off to the races six months later. You typically see a major correction, you know, fifty percent or more, and typically it comes with an overshoot to whatever you think fair value is. And so that was all I was saying is that, you know, we are in the early stages of the unwinding of this bubble and so there's probably a lot more downside to go. Hey Dan, it's
5: Jeff Mills. So Question about sort of where to hide in all of this, right? I know you said you like cyclicals, financials specifically, and then, and then staples potentially. So relative to cyclicals, financials, do you worry about what an economic slowdown might mean for that sector? And then in the same breath, we just talked about staples being expensive. Can you just walk me through the call there?
9: Yeah, Jeff, you know, you make a you make a great point and I completely agree. I think that, you know, right now the way we've been positioning the portfolios is essentially a barbell between defensives and inflation beneficiaries. As we know, a lot of most of the inflation beneficiaries tend to come with a lot of cyclicality. So I think the move here is the further profits continue to slow, the further that the economy continues to slow, you probably want to, you know, switch the concentration of that barbell away from the inflation beneficiaries and, and toward more of the defensive names. And on the point of, you know, defensives being expensive, if you go back and look at all of the bear markets, you know, over the last you know twenty or thirty years. You know, look at the starting point valuations for defensive stocks. They are never cheap, you know, going into a bear market. If this is going to turn out to be a bear market, um, they're never cheap. And, and they still outperform. And that's and part of that is because what are they cheap relative to? You know, what are they expensive relative to? They're expensive relative to the rest of the market where earnings estimates are probably too high.
3: Dan, good to see you. Thank you. Dan Suzuki. Thanks for having me, guys. Richard Bernstein Advisors. Pete Najarian, I'll go to you because I feel like your portfolio is probably the inverse of what Dan Suzuki is recommending <laughs> um, in that he says inflation, <laughs> no. but, you know, but, no? Okay, what? <laughs>
0: no, you, you, you'd actually he be surprised. Numbers. I mean, some of my longest holds. Some of my longest holds that I've had are a very defensive when I'm looking at like a Coke and a Pepsi and mm. some of those kind of names that I think a lot of people view as defensive. But on the other side of it, I've got a heck of a lot of energy, Mel. I am very exposed there. I've got a lot of financial. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm sort of in that, but not for the same reasons. I just found myself into a lot of these stocks over time because I like the management and in a lot of these through you guys because you, you, we've had the pitch stock thing going for so long. And, you know, along the way, I've actually added stocks into my portfolio that I might not have looked at, but uh, because of all the research that I was doing, some of these have become a mainstay of what I hold when I hold these stocks. So I've maybe got 45 stocks or so. And right now I would say that I've got energy, I've got financials, and then I do have a lot of defensives as well.
3: All right, coming up, shares of American Express lower in today's session. We'll break down what had investors charging out of the trade in just a few. But first, we've got a guest fast pitch coming your way. So it's time to take the field, grab your gloves, get ready for this next curveball. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Alternative asset management company Brookfield has been under pressure like the rest of the financial sector, down 17 percent this year. But our next guest says it might be a time for a turnaround. Taking the mound for his fast pitch today is Brian Lee, Chief Investment Officer at Blue Zone Wealth Advisors. So, Brian, um, it sounds like the big part of your argument is that it's trading at a discount to NAV.
6: Yeah, listen, thanks for having me on the show, Melissa. First off, from a high level perspective, we don't believe it's going to be easy for the Fed to manufacture a soft landing into a decelerating economy. Long story short, we just think they're going to tighten until something breaks. So we want to own the companies that can not only withstand the cycle turn, but be in a position to take advantage of it. So that's why we like Brookfield Asset Management, an alternative asset manager with about 700 billion investable capital under management and also owner of roughly 60 percent of Oak Tree Capital, the premier distressed debt manager that thrives when we experience credit dislocations. Hey, Brian, it's Tim. Sorry, keep going. The stock currently trades at about 50 bucks a share, or roughly 60 percent of management's midpoint NAV. Last shareholder letter, the management company actually spoon fed investors what they believe the company is worth, citing 50 bucks to the asset light asset management side of the business and 30 dollars for the incremental balance sheet investments. Happy to dig into those further, but I'll take some questions to start off.
1: Well, it's it's a fascinating topic, I think, during a lot of financial turmoil to, to go after effectively a money manager. How do they handle um high water marks uh, in the midst of a drawdown and what how, what would that do to your projected earnings and again you know they, they grew assets dramatically in the last five years but that that might have been the sweetest spot for money managers of all time
6: for sure i think that's a great question tim listen the great thing about this capital base is not only is it locked up and come with circa 60 to 65 percent margins in in the next five years but it also has a great counter-cyclicality nature to it meaning as it, assets come down the prices of assets come down the investment environment becomes more fertile the, they'll be able to accelerate the deployment of that, which, you know, they have $90 billion right now sitting in dry powder, which will start to um, generate accretive fees to, to the bottom line.
3: Brian, great to see you. Thank you, Brian Lee. Thank you. Blue Zone. So we asked for traders, are you buying Brian Lee's pitch on Brookfield Asset Management? I can hear Tim scribbling on his uh, blackboard here. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> All right, go. Uh, Brian did a great
1: job with that. It's a very compelling idea, but in this environment, I have to be a seller. I, I think you've uh, Howard Marks is one of the best. Oak Tree's one of the best, but I think this is a tough time for a hedge.
3: Uh, Dan,
4: what do you say? I-, I also thought it was a great presentation. I'd be a buyer, and like here's, buy. where I, well, here's where I'd be a buyer. You look, at there's an air pocket down to 45. That's down about 10%. Um, that is the pre-pandemic high there.
5: Um, that's where I'd be a buyer this time.
3: Jeff Mills.
5: So I wrote good house, bad neighborhood, because I think, you know, financials are tough, right? These, these are stocks that usually outperform in a low rate environment, an expansionary environment. Obviously, that's not where I think we're going. But I do think a company like Brookfield is better positioned. We talked about that with Blackstone. I actually think it's better positioned than Blackstone. I think the earnings are a little bit more stable. I think there is a catalyst potentially if they spin off the asset manager. So I like it.
3: Crucial vote, Pete. What do you say?
0: I'm going to tip it back to a buy. I thought he did an outstanding job presenting this thing. I thought the the opportunities are there still for somebody like a Brookfield. So I like this pitch. I thought he, he sold me on it.
3: All right. So three buys on the desk. The traders have spoken. It is your turn now. So are you buying Brian's fast pitch on Brookfield Asset Management? Head to CNBC Fast Money on Twitter to vote. Poor Brian. He's going to lose now. Um, coming up, share, because you guys voted by shares of American Express in the red today, we will break down what is behind this move next. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill today, and it's American Express shares falling almost 2%, making it the second worst performer in the Dow. Despite strong first quarter numbers, the stock is down 7.6% since reporting on April 22nd. So, what is in the cards now for American Express. Um, Pete, you know, we had great numbers from Visa. We're hearing good things about travel. And so what do you think about American Express?
0: Yeah, and American Express talked about exactly that. They talked about travel. They talked about entertainment. They talked about their volumes. They talked about a lot of those different things, and they delivered. But the, the market, for whatever reason, Mel, continues to kind of punish this name. As a matter of fact, Trading at the multiples that it's trading versus a Visa or a MasterCard, it's a fraction of both of those. So it is kind of puzzling, to be honest with you. I think Capital One sort of falls in that category as well for me because they actually get an an incredible amount of their revenue off the credit card side of things as well. So there's the haves and the have-nots. And for whatever reason right now, American Express seems to be under pressure. I think at this rate, though, I think it's actually getting very, very close to a buy for me. So I'm keeping a close eye on it.
4: Yeah. yeah, I actually think the stock trades pretty well, given the environment and given how some of the other financials, trade banks and that sort of thing, there is credit risk here. Um, I'd also say it's probably at the, like the midpoint of the one year range. It's actually up on the year. So I think the relative outperformance is pretty good. I think the recent weakness is probably, um, you know, suggesting that there's maybe more credit risk here than just one of the numbers that we saw Visa
3: and MasterCard, just transactions, transactions, yeah.
4: transactions. At some point that may slow down, but th- there's a credit situation or it is a recession. This stock's going a little bit lower.
3: All right. Coming up, shares of Mosaic, down about two and a half percent after hours after reporting numbers. Uh, We are diving into the options pit to see how traders are playing the ag stock. The details next, and there is still time to vote on Brian Lee's Fast Pitch. Are you a buyer of Brookfield Asset Management? Head to CNBC Fast Money on Twitter to vote. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have an earnings alert on Mosaic. The fertilizer producer falling after hours, kicking off a huge week of earnings in the ag space with a modest EPS beat and a revenue miss. The company mentions the uncertain outlook caused by the Russia-Ukraine conflict. That's unlikely to change before the second half of this year. Um, Tim, you, you trade in these stocks. You also got Nutrien, which is a potash yep, producer. The top, right, exactly. C-F- potash reported, and it's up about 4% after hours. So it's sort of been a mixed bag. You have
1: seen a mixed bag. They're all down 10 to 25% off of those highs mosaic now through the 25. It's interesting that they're pointing at Russia, Ukraine, which obviously has spiked commodity prices as being uh, the problem. What you typically see with a lot of the ag producers is this type of volatility. No one believes you can sustain these kind of prices. Mm-hmm. What we're hearing from some of the analysts on the street is that they're actually looking at ag and looking at softs um, as a multi-year cycle. And I think that's a, a major question here. I'm not ready to 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 rule in that favor. And as we say, the greatest thing for higher prices is, in fact, higher prices because you can see a supply response. I think Mosaic down here, 25% off those highs. Uh, get back above that 50-day, and then I think you're buying the stock because I think uh, it's definitely priced for uh, prices probably 20 or so percent lower than this on spot.
3: Mm. Um, this Mosaic earnings move is having a big impact on a multi-million dollar options bet. Let's bring in Tony Zane to break down the action. Tony.
6: Yeah, so Today, what I want to take a look at is one particular large trade that crossed the tape that really exemplifies the difference between how institutionals uh, investors take a look at earnings versus retail. Because if we take a look at the implied move on Mosaic before earnings, it was implying an 11.1% move, which is 50% greater than the average we've seen over the last eight quarters of 7.5%. And the trader sold 1,400 contracts of the May $60 straddle, collecting $9.05 in credit. This is a particular trade that is most profitable if the stock stays around the $60 range. It's a directionally neutral short volatility play, taking advantage of these extremely elevated implied volatilities going into earnings versus the more directional nature that we typically see retail traders use for these types of earnings points.
3: Uh, Pete, do you like the ag trade? I do.
0: I do. Uh, specifically, CF, which I own calls. We had some huge call buying a while back, Mel. But obviously, and Tim was pointing this out as well, but Nat Gas and the prices of Nat Gas, which is a big component here, that's a real problem because, of course, that's going to affect the margins as well. So we talk about the good side of the, the inflationary side, and then there's the bad side. And right now, Nat Gas, certainly at levels, its, its highest level since 2008, is going to impact some of these names as well going forward. But the free cash flow of CF is fantastic.
3: All right. Tony, thank you. Good to see you. Tony Zhang. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. And you still have time to vote on Brian Lee's Fast Pitch. Are you buying Brookfield Asset Management? Head to CNBC Fast Money on Twitter to vote. The results and final trades are next. Welcome back. Time to see if you are at home. Oh, no. You are not buying Brian Lee's fast pitch on Brookfield Asset Management. We are a contrarian indicator, but that in and of itself is very useful, actually, if we are a contrarian indicator every single time. No is 68%. Final trade time. Jeff Mills.
5: Apple, I don't think the bounce back today holds. I was a seller on Friday. I'm a seller today.
0: Pete? Saw some huge call buying in Lucid. I think Lucid's going higher.
3: Tim Seymour. So
0: underinvested in energy in this country, Hess, H-E-S.
3: Dan.
4: Yeah, that Expedia quarter looked pretty good on a pullback. I think you buy that one.
3: Hmm. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.